Well, good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. It's such a joy to finally be here in person with you all after. <laughs> Before we start, I want to thank you all for the prayers and support you have given me these, these past few months while I was in Michigan preparing to make my way over here to Hayward. For those of you who don't know, I haven't, and I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church now. <laughs> I can say that. And uh, <laughs> thanks, Butter. <laughs> not, not Josh. If Sue says Josh, that's not right. Um, <laughs> uh, I would love to get to the chance to know you all after the service. Um, and at the end of this service, I'll, I'll have an announcement with what my office hours are going to look like this week. So you can stop in whenever um, to get to know each other a little better then. But I'll save that for later so we can take this time to focus on this week's message. If you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 9, we'll be diving into that in just one moment. And by the way, if, if you don't have a Bible or if you know someone that needs a Bible, come talk to me after the service. I'd love to send you home with one as my gift to you this morning. Before we do anything else, let's pray. Oh Lord, your love is greater. Your love is stronger. Lord, awaken us this morning to be able to comprehend receive and share your love with others. The words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Matthew 9, starting with verse 35, Matthew writes, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is God's word for us this morning. So I want to start off by telling you about this guy. He, he lived in the 5th century in Egypt. His name was Simeon the Stylite. He belonged to this particular area of Christianity called asceticism. I can't even say it right. <laughs> asceticism. Ascetics, uh, they made it their mission to perfectly follow Christ and strive to achieve Christian perfection. Now, if you're thinking that, that sounds great, aren't we Christians supposed to do that? The answer is both yes and no. While it should be a Christian's mission to live and love like Jesus and share the life and love of Jesus with those around them, we always readily acknowledge that we constantly fall short of this. Uh, we, we fall short of this mission and we'll never see it to completion in ourselves on this side of glory but for the ascetics, there was, uh, this was an obtainable goal that could happen during their lifetime. Oftentimes, this required self-denial. Oftentimes, it required, as in the case of Simon, Simeon, 
This involves self-isolation. For 37 years and over half of his life, Simeon would, he, he had this pillar that he lived on. By the time he died, this pillar stood about 50 feet tall, and it was from atop this pillar he would preach, he would pray, he would fast, he, he, he would live there. There was a point that he got so sick that people were begging him to come down, but he refused and eventually he recovered. Now, I doubt too many people got really close to Simeon over his lifetime. I know I hear about him today, and, and I wonder, what was this guy thinking? Why would someone want to do that to themselves? Why would they want to live on a, a three-foot-wide platform on top of a 50-foot-tall pillar for 37 years? And I think the answer is, is pretty simple, at least in his case. His goal was to create distance between himself and the world he lived in. He wanted to get away from it. He wanted to retreat. And I have nothing against Simeon. He, he even gained sainthood in both the Orthodox and the Catholic Church. But I think he was so inwardly focused that he missed out on the outward mission. Somewhat similar but, but more known story is that of Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah being a prophet, he served as a representation of the Lord to Israel and of Israel to the Lord and to the rest of the world. One day, the Lord called Jonah to go and, quote, to the great city of, city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness. Now, instead, Jonah got on a boat heading in the very opposite direction of Nineveh. And, and I think most of us know the rest of this story. He got swallowed by a fish. God sent him back on the right course, and yet Jonah was still grumbling and complaining the whole time. He didn't care about Nineveh. In fact, he wanted to see the city destroyed, and just like Simeon, he wanted to retreat. I see this pattern time and time again in the Old Testament. Israel is supposed to be a nation that blesses other nations, and, and yet so often Israel chooses to keep to themselves. We see it in the New Testament. Jewish Christians question whether the gospel was intended for the Greeks or, or for the non-Jewish people. Had it not been for persecution and Pentecost, the church would have likely remained entrenched in Jerusalem. And even today, it's so tempting to retreat. I know when I lived in West Michigan, it, it would take little to no effort to go months and, and maybe even years without interacting with someone who didn't identify as a Christian. We often get our core communities from the churches we attend. We, we send our kids to Christian schools. We work for Christian organizations. We listen to Christian music. We watch Christian movies. And, and while that may be a little more difficult in the Bay Area, I'm willing to believe that the allure of it is the same. We want to surround ourselves with people who think and, and live like us. And yet, Jesus prayed that we should not be taken out of the world, but that we should be kept from evil. The modern translation is, is that we should be in the world, but not of the world. Yet so often, we, we like to create our own worlds that we retreat to. 
But I think even more commonly is, is the desire within the church to, to not so much retreat, but to remain. But rather than seeking to transform the society, we simply become a criti- critic of it. I think back to a few years ago, it was the summer I was living in downtown Grand Rapids, which is on the west side of Michigan, and there was this big festival happening in the city. The streets were filled with street food vendors and and stages where local bands would come and play. In in fact, uh, Caledonia CRC, which was the parent church of the church that I was working with, their, their middle school band, their middle school praise team was on one of those stages that day. So my friends and I, we got together and, and we headed into the city and, and we were stopped by one man holding a sign telling me and my friends and everyone that could hear him that we were going to hell. I was shocked. You know, I thought I was a good Christian boy. I, I led the worship team. I helped with youth ministry at my church. I just wanted to eat a hot dog and listen to a mediocre classic rock band. And I was be told I was going to hell for it. And, and maybe it was against my better judgment, but I thought it would be a good idea to approach this guy and figure out why exactly I was going to hell. So that was my first question to him. And one of his answers was that I was creating an idol out of the band that was performing, which in my opinion I thought was strange because I didn't know what band I was going to see, let alone who was performing. And this is the second question that made me realize that the conversation I was engaging in probably wasn't worth the time. I asked him what the Bible verse on his sign said. His response was, oh, I don't know. This is the sign they gave me. (laughs) I mean, it made me laugh out loud. If you felt so strongly about something, strongly enough that you're willing to condemn people to hell for it, You should probably know what the Bible says, let alone what your sign says about it. I was blown away by this guy until I realized how often I did this as well. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, how how often do we judge first and love later? I'm sure there aren't many times that we're the lone picketers at a music festival, but I think our attitudes often match that. Or when we're called to go and love the other, you know, the the people who don't look like us, don't act like us, and don't really like us, but that's okay because we don't really like them either. We respond in a way similar to Jonah when he was called to go to Nineveh. We we run in, in the complete opposite direction towards the people who look and act like we do, the, the people we feel more comfortable with. I think these reactions make sense. It's so much easier to to judge someone than it is to love someone. But it's astonishing what love can do. Our passage today comes comes after a, a whole bunch of examples showing that love to people. Starting in chapter 8, he he heals a man with leprosy. He heals the servant of a Roman centurion. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He restores two demon-possessed men. He forgives and heals a paralyzed man. He invites a tax collector to join him, raises a dead girl back to life, and heals a sick woman, heals a blind man, heals a mute man. That's all in two chapters. Matthew writes in verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 16, that many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. 
and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Jesus spent his time caring for and loving the other. The people in society that, the people that society had cast out and they wanted nothing to do with. The harvest is plentiful. And Jesus refused to overlook these people that people so often choose to overlook. The mentally ill, the the differently abled, the, the people experiencing homelessness. We know these people. He refused to judge from afar the people we refuse to interact with. Like the tax collector and the government official. Instead, he healed them. He called them. He loved them. Now, there's an old hymn that, that I really love. It's called Come Ye Sinners. I used to play it all the time when I led worship at my old church. The first verse says, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. And that word pity used to bother me. So much so that that we wouldn't sing that word in my church. We would change it on the screens so it said, Jesus ready stands to save you full of mercy, love, and power. I think mercy at that time was such a more, more beautiful and comfortable word. I don't want someone to pity me. It, it makes me sound helpless. It, it also sounds like I'm being looked down upon. But I think that's because I misunderstood what it meant. To pity someone means to feel sorrow and compassion caused by the suffering and misfortunes of that person. Isn't that what verse 36 sounds like? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Aren't we all deserving of this pity? We live in a sin-sick world, and, and we're all infected. Us poor, needy, weak, wounded, sick, and sore sinners, all in desperate need of a Savior. And God looked at us with pity. He looked at us with sorrow and compassion because we were harassed and helpless to sin. But because of his love and mercy, we are no longer condemned because of our nature, but we are loved despite it. And now we're called to love people in that same way. We aren't called to run and avoid the less fortunate. We're called to pity them. Not in a way that's degrading, but in a way that is compassionate and is helpful and treats them as equals made in the image of God. So how do we do this? I saved talking about this last verse to the end because I think it might be the most important verse in this short passage. It's the solution. Jesus closes this passage by telling his disciples in verse 38 to Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers in his harvest field. Oh boy, what an easy solution. All we have to do is pray, hey Lord, please send workers to work the harvest. If we just pray for it, God will provide. We can all do that, right? It takes like 20 seconds tops. Problem solved. If you're picking up the hint of sarcasm, great job. It's not quite that easy. 
You see, whenever we pray a prayer like that, we have to be ready for God's answer. We have to be ready for him to say, okay, now go. The harvest is plentiful. Now go work it. I want to close this morning by reading from from 1 Corinthians 12. Paul writes this. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Friends, God has created and equipped each and every one of us with certain gifts. And they're all needed. The vision of the church is a body where everyone contributes their gifts. We are called to be workers in this harvest. What if we Christians were known, were truly known for what we were called to do? What if we were known for caring for the harassed and helpless? Not just shutting ourselves off or or becoming agents of judgment. What if we used our individual talents and gifts to feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, accompany the lonely? Imagine a world if, if our ask to send workers in the harvest field went from, Lord, please send them, to, here we are, Lord. Send us. All we have and all we are is yours. Let's pray. Lord, the harvest is plentiful. We come before you this morning acknowledging that we frequently have a hand in that. So often we run away from a field or or we sit inside it and contaminate it rather than harvest it. Forgive us, Lord, and renew us. Inspire us and lead us. Here we are, Lord. Send us. All we have and all we are is yours. It's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit.